This episode is brought to you in partnership with Life Kitchens. Life create kitchens to be lived in, planned around your life and the way you live it. Explore their unique ranges and book a design consultation for a personal and practical approach to kitchens. Visit life-kitchens.co.uk. One of the first thing one learns as a gardener is, is how to fail. <laughs> so I think that, that's really I, good. I can relate to that. I know. <laughs> so I think that's really important. You, you, you can be humbled by the garden. You're, you're not in control. When You know, farmers are not in control of the weather. Gardeners are not in control of the weather. And sometimes letting go of that control is, is so freeing because you realise that you're just a part, a little part of a system. You are not, you're not God, basically. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. Boswell Landscape Architects is renowned for beautiful gardens, often in historic settings. The practice combines a deep respect for the natural world with a hands-on practical approach to achieving results. Marion, welcome. It's lovely to see you today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for asking me. So why do gardens matter? Gosh, that's a lovely question, isn't it? I think we have all realised in, in lockdown, particularly how important our outside space is. And our gardens are that little kind of microcosm of nature. And I think every time we step outside, we're reminded that so much is going on, which we don't have control of. I love it when I go outside and I'm not telling the grass to grow. I'm not telling the trees to to come into leaf or all the birds that are there. They're just doing that anyway. And it makes us realize that we're just a tiny little part of this huge, huge system, this ecosystem, which some people call Gaia. And I think that our gardens are our simplest and smallest way to connect with that something which is so much bigger than us and so much more important than our day to day. So you started out on your journey, you say as a little girl, you were terrified by a triffid. Tell us that story. (laughs) It was the book. It was the day of the triffids, the book. And I don't know how many people are old enough to have either read the book or or, uh, seen it. They did make it into, into a movie. So I I took this book off the shelf at school. I must have been about 12. And it's terrifying because they're man-made, genetically modified plants. And then they kind of have a mind of their own and they basically eat humans and make them blind and stop the whole system. But what what was really scary is actually the people that were left behind to survive. They had to completely start again. They had to start again in terms of growing their own food, in terms of how they were going to structure their society. But what it really made me realise was that I didn't know how to do any of that and how important that understanding was, but also how much I wasn't being taught it in school and how disconnected we are. So if we go to buy a bag of salad, do we know what each of those individual leaves are? Do we know what each leaf does that's good for us why we're eating it what's you know all those sorts of things and how to do it for ourselves so yes the day of the triffids was a fantastic starting block for me and I never really stopped asking questions 
And in my job, you never have all the answers. And particularly at the moment, we're realizing that we don't have enough answers. And there are lots of people who are really trying hard to do what we do a lot better, which I think is really important. And when you say trying to do things a lot better, how would that manifest itself in the work that you do? So I'm a landscape architect. So basically we design, they could be historic estates or they could be uh, like art galleries or hospital gardens, but we also do lots of residential gardens. So we're designing beautiful spaces for people. And one of the most important things is to make the people that live there comfortable and happy and fulfilled. The other most important thing is to look after the land. And when I say to do it better, I mean to do no harm because the odd thing is that as designers, we don't always do good. We think that we might be creating beautiful spaces, but are they beautiful below the surface? And I think that's really what I'm interested in. So are they sustainable? in terms of creating ecosystems, in terms of looking at carbon, in terms of biodiversity, but also the materials we use. And I think this applies as much to interiors as to outside, I'm sure you would say. What goes into making the things which we put in our gardens? Are they recyclable? Are they recycled? Do they use virgin oil? And, and also, how were they made? Do they support child labour or slavery? Or do they um, come from ethical sources? So there are so many things that we kind of need to understand before we take our lines off the drawing board and, and create a space. And I love you. I love how you say that um, when you build a community of layers, they will look after each other. And that's quite a an interesting thought, but I, I can see how that might work. Yes, yeah, so in terms of planting, the way that translates really is, um, I've been very inspired by the work at, at Wellesley College in the States and uh, Martin Crawford and the idea of forest gardening. And when we plant uh, as a studio, we're trying to think of the form of the beautiful layout, but also the function of each of the plants. So for example, if you think of something like comfrey, it's something they call a, it's known as a, um, it's a beautiful ground cover and it's a good weed suppressant. It's fantastic for bees, but it's also what they call a dynamic accumulator. So it accumulates, I think seven different minerals in it so that it's doing good to the ground. So it's taking the energy of the sunlight and it's doing good to the ground. And that's just on the, on the uh, ground cover layer. So if you translate that approach to every single layer that you plant, then you're building this whole ecosystem. You're bringing in the right predators. You're bringing in the right food sources for those predators. And you make this, yes, you make this wonderful self-supporting ecosystem. And sometimes... Uh, people have queried, for example, when caterpillars eat our hornbeams in our design, somebody some once said to me, um, do you know that you've got caterpillars on the trees? And I, and I thought, yeah, that's great because that's ecosystems pruning, basically. So the, the shape of the tree is being pruned by natural sources rather than us having to go in and take bits out. And you also talk about how gardens can shape our mindset. Give us an idea of what you mean by that. So uh, I think one of the first thing one learns is a gardener is, is how to fail. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think that, that's really I good. I can relate to that. I know. 
<laughs> so I think that's really important. You, you, you can be humbled by the garden. You're, you're not in control. When, you know, farmers are not in control of the weather. Gardeners are not in control of the weather. And, and sometimes letting go of that control is, is so freeing because you realize that you're just a part, a little part of a system. You are not, well, you're not God, basically. So that's really good. But I also think that the joy of seeing things grow uh, just doesn't leave you. So that maintaining that mindset of, of joy in little things and joy in the details and appreciating when the birds come, when you grow teasels and you get goldfinches. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And there's quite a lot of um, thought process behind how, you know, giving prisoners an, um, a time outside, making sure, you know, we all know that it's important for getting children away from their screens and taking them outside. And But the research into what an impact being out in the garden has such a positive impact on your well-being. I mean, that's all kind of part of it as well, isn't it? Yes. So I think that the science has caught up really or people have been interested in the science which are things which I think we all at an energetic level have known for a very long time so if you think of Maslow's pyramid of need then all of those things the garden gives you food and physical well-being it gives you safety it gives you a sense of belonging and it gives you self-esteem and I think what you're talking about for about the prisoners and if you think um sue stewart smith's written a wonderful book the well garden mind which i would recommend to to your readers she has investigated lots of very specific cases but near me i also know of a the lovely um east sutton young offenders where they have found that just raking for 20 minutes can really boost these young offenders self-esteem and we also know that it's a scary statistic that 74% of children in the UK spend less than an hour a day outside. And that is less than the time allowed to prisoners by the UN. So we are sort of imposing or not imposing, but not facilitating or not forcing even, I don't know how we, what's the best way of saying it, but to get our children outside, to get them in nature and get ourselves outside. Yeah. I was interested to see that you've done work with the Chevening Trust and also the Charleston Trust. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yes, so the Charleston Trust, we were very fortunate to be involved in their um, centenary project when they had Jamie Fobert and Julian Harrop to work on converting the barns to a beautiful exhibition space. And we were brought in to improve the access and to take the pressure off some of the um, outside areas. I think that's one of the things with these beautiful places that get a lot of visitors, is how can you take the pressure off the house? And I loved my meeting with Julian Harrop when he, I mean, he's such a, an old school god, really. You know, he's one of these wonderful people who know so much. So my meeting with, with Julian Harrop, I went in and said to him about the, the main road on the way down to Charleston and how it was really broken up and the engineers wanted to fix it. And he said, but you see, the thing is, Marion, when you go down that pothole road and you have to stop for cars to come by and you have to be careful about where you're driving, you're going back a hundred years. And I love that. And it's those kind of gems which, you know, just make a place so magical. And I'm sure when Duncan Grant and Vanessa Bell were there, the, the road was just as potholed. Or worse, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And what about Chevening? 
So Chevening is a beautiful trust, which is the Stanhope family, and it's a house which is available, it was available either for the Prince of Wales or for the foreign minister, and it's currently the foreign minister who, who uses it. And I go there on a fairly regular basis just to talk about how it's um, developing. George Carter has also done quite a lot of work there, as has Elizabeth Banks when she before she was head of the RHS, she did the conservation management plan, which we still refer to. And we've created a lovely new topiary garden in what was the laundry garden. And there it's a space where people who might not, for example, if the um, ministers were talking to a, a head of state and didn't want to do the whole loop around the lake, which is quite a long walk, they might just want a shorter place and a private place for a little talk. So that the idea of that was, um, this space, which is full of topiary and wildflower, and it's much looser than perhaps the older um, areas. That's been really enjoyable. And so it, it's probably a horrible question, but is there, a, is there a style of garden that you are renowned for amongst your clients when it comes to look, how things look? Well, I think I had a lovely comment from a client last week. And he's asking us to do a, a beautiful Chelsea garden, not as in the flower show, but as in a garden in the borough of Chelsea. He said that he liked the way our gardens look wild. <laughs> and I think that whilst they are, they're full of, they're full of sort of some clipped forms and some order, but they are then loose and they're working with nature. And I think the, what we're striving for in that look is that it's a, beauty which goes beyond form and just before we started recording this morning I was saying to you about the F. Scott Fitzgerald quote which I love from the great Gatsby when they say uh, she was beautiful but not like those girls in the magazines she was beautiful the way she thought she was beautiful for the sparkle in her eye when she talks about something she loves I think it's something like that and so what I like for our gardens is for them to be beautiful because of what they're doing and not just how they look. And actually, if I mean, I know you work on some enormous projects and, um, you know, sort of all sizes and things. But but what what is it that, you know, just little things that one can do? Maybe if you don't have a big space outside, what are the things that you can do? Little gardening tips, maybe if you're living without a garden or in a flat or. Absolutely. Oh, so much, so much. I think if you don't have a garden at all, then you can bring the garden in. So a pot of basil on the windowsill, the smell is extraordinary. You can grow something from seed, your own tomatoes on the smallest space. You know what it's like when you pick tomatoes, you have the benefit of the smell on your fingers, let alone the eating of them. And just having them in the room is really good for you. If you have a balcony, you can take that a little bit further. You can also compost on a balcony or you could have a vermiculture like a, a wormery. So you can immediately be taking less waste off and bringing less things in to your house. You can grow salad in wine boxes. You can, um, you know, just cut and come again leaves. So I think all those little things and also to just get outside and to walk amongst the trees, hug the trees, hug the trees in the park. Those poor trees in the park are so lonely, who hugs them? So I think, yes, all those little things that you can do. We do do some work in London gardens and we had a lovely garden where we planted a very small meditation spiral. You can take your shoes off in the park, you can connect with the 
ground. We also planted things like in this garden, like a, a, a foraging hedge for the children. That you don't need to be in the countryside to do that. You can grow things up walls. Now I'm probably talking far too fast. So you can get as much in as possible, but there's so much you can do in any size space. And what about some of the projects that you're working on at the moment? And where is your studio based actually? So my studio is based down in Kent, very near Sissinghurst. I took the decision when we uh, set up the practice that I wanted it to be a slightly different practice to the ones which I had seen. We work, um, people can work remotely, they can work flexible hours. And um, I encourage people if they have like a, a, ho a hobby, like an allotment, they might do their allotment first thing in the morning and then log on or come in. So we're trying to make it as sustainable in the human sense as well as in the um, what we're building sense. It's in the grounds of my uh, garden. It's an old coach house. So it's got high ceilings with um, big lamps and lots of books. And it's very warm, very light. <laughs> And where do you get your ideas from? Where do you go and sort of drink in the surroundings and think, oh, yes, this is I want to try and do something like this? So I think more and more I get my ideas from closely observing what's happening outside. And I think there's so much to learn from landscapes, bigger landscapes and bringing in the shapes and how things work together. So that's really how I get my inspiration. My team as well are a wonderful source of inspiration. And we have a lovely thing. We just had our Monday morning meeting just before I spoke to you. And we all bring our thoughts and ideas and images before we start talking about what we've got to do that week. And so this morning we had um, some lovely artwork. Uh, we had some pictures of old crumbled down uh, paper mills from the photographers Burnton Hill. We had uh, Studio Gross, which has done some amazing work in China, beautiful, huge layouts, which somebody brought in, and some amazing paintings by someone called Pekka Halone from the 1860s, which are these beautiful Swedish images. So I think bouncing those ideas off each other, which is obviously from art, from music, from landscape, um, all of those things bring such enormous um, inspiration. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's been fascinating to talk to you and um, I'm looking forward to getting out there now that the sun's shining and, you know, we've got the, um, it, the positivity and the excitement of summer coming ahead. I think it will be, inspire everyone to go outside and, and maybe even hug a little tree, even if, you know, even if no one's looking. <laughs> <laughs> Dance like no one's watching, hug trees like no one's looking. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking to me. It was lovely. Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. For more news and views in the world of interior design, sign up to our newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk and why not listen in to our sister podcast, Breakout Culture with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Fruity Metcalf. Music